avalanche tragedy. I'm a little bit lucky, but I'm very, very sad about the people. Skiers react to three dead near Panorama. Warnings that went unheeded and why the slopes are still so dangerous. No charges for suspected money launderers. While there was suspicious activity, there was no underlying criminal offense. How mountains of evidence couldn't produce charges and why it might lead to new laws. And BC's powerlifting grandma. It's not bad for an old lady. <laughs> How she found the strength to dominate in her sport. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. There is shock and grief in BC's interior today as the ski village of Panorama grapples with the fallout from a deadly avalanche. Three German tourists were killed and several others were seriously injured. Global's Heather Yorks West is live with more on what we're learning about the tragedy. And Heather, the heliskiing operation, at least its leads, spoke about the tragedy today. Yeah, Chris, the president of RK Heliski called Wednesday the saddest day of his life. RK Heliski has operated out of Panorama Village for the last five decades, but never before has it seen a tragedy of this scale. The majestic beauty of Canada's Rocky Mountains and the promise of untouched snow. It's magic that draws people from around the world here. But on Wednesday afternoon, a day of adventure for a group of German tourists turned tragic when the group was caught in a devastating slide. Of the 10 people, three of whom are found to be deceased, four others were uh, severely injured, and one of those four was actually the guide. The three people killed were all from the same village in Bavaria, Germany. The mayor of that town writing in a statement, all of us in our community are deeply shocked by this accident and we feel deep sorrow. I myself am shocked, stunned, and still cannot believe how cruel life can be. Residents of the nearby town of Invermere, where the injured were taken by helicopter Wednesday, are devastated too. Well, just sadness. Just going, you know, this is tragic. Some, you know, this is, this is not a good scenario. I knew that there had, was something very wrong, you know, so I lit some candles and, you know, said some prayers. The group had been skiing with R.K. Heliski when the avalanche hit. The company says it served more than 160,000 people operating here for more than 50 years. But Wednesday, its president says, was the worst day of his life. It's with heavy hearts that we're here today. Be the, the saddest day ever, not just in our lives, but definitely here at, at RK for the tragedy that's taken place. The company says the group was about a quarter of the way down the slope when one of the skiers triggered a Category 3 avalanche. According to Avalanche Canada, that's a slide strong enough to destroy a truck or small building. Remarkably, the four injured are expected to make a full recovery. But the company has asked Hella Canada to activate a critical incident stress management team to help them navigate the disaster and support the families who are now trying to bring the bodies of their loved ones home. Heather, that's a popular tourist destination. People come from all over the world for that legendary snow. How are visitors reacting to what's happened the last day or two? 
Yeah, Chris, as you mentioned, people come from all over the world, especially people that are coming from uh, international locations. This is a bucket list, once in a lifetime trip. So the people that we've spoken with uh, are a mix of, of emotions. There, there's relief. We spoke with a group of German tourists that were supposed to go up today. Um, but of course, the Heliski uh, trips are cancelled in the wake of, of this tragedy. Uh, relief, of course, that, that they uh, were not caught up in such a disaster, but disappointment and sadness too. Uh, for, for missing out on this once-in-a-lifetime um, experience and then also sadness for, for the lives here that have been lost. Chris? Sad all around. Okay, thanks very much. That's Heather Urex west reporting from Panorama Forest tonight. North Shore Rescue had to contend with the high avalanche risk, saving an injured skier today. The team was called out after the skier badly injured their leg during a fall in the backcountry adjacent to Cypress Mountain. NSR says with complex and hazardous avalanche conditions, they had to adapt their rescue operations to keep both the victim and the team as safe as possible. We could only put two people in, package quickly and get out as fast as possible, minimize the number of people exposed to the hazard. It's not a time right now to be backcountry skiing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the snow is, the snowpack's really unstable. It's really twitchy. Uh, it's not something that we'd be recommending right now. The victim was taken to hospital with what is believed to be a broken femur. And despite frequent public and easy online access to the latest forecasts and danger ratings, 12 people have died in B.C. backcountry avalanches so far this winter. As Aaron MacArthur reports, while the risks are well known, it's still an individual decision whether or not to venture out. In a typical year, the threat of avalanche is that top of mind for any backcountry user. This winter is anything but typical. Avalanche forecasters call this one of the most complex snowpacks in decades and have been warning users for months about large destructive slides that can happen almost anywhere without warning. The answer here is avoiding terrain where you're likely to trigger these deep and uh, destructive avalanches. Yet, despite the risks, commercial operators and individuals alike are still heading out. In B.C., 12 people have been killed in avalanches this winter. On January 9th, two Nelson police officers were killed while skiing near Caslow. On January 21st, a snowmobiler from Alberta died near Vailmount. Days later, two brothers from Pennsylvania were killed while heli-skiing south of Revelstoke. Two people, including a search-and-rescue volunteer, died backcountry skiing near Tatla Lake. On February 16th, a slide near Golden killed two, and three more are dead after the incident near Invermere. People who are going out to the backcountry right now need to recognize that a lot of the deaths that we have seen here in British Columbia were from people who were very experienced or were with guides who were highly experienced in the backcountry. Over the last decade, 77 people have lost their lives to avalanches, averaging seven per year. The B.C. government has stopped short of restricting access during periods when conditions are especially dangerous. Instead, outdoor safety experts say it's up to individuals to manage their own risk and to be prepared for all eventualities with proper gear and proper planning. Sound judgment is critical. And if you head out there and need to turn around and save it for another day, it could be your best decision that you make. Sunny, warmer spring weather usually brings out more people to the backcountry. With the conditions not expected to improve, it's likely to put more people at risk. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
Now to a shocker in the retail world. Nordstrom revealed today it's closing all of its stores in Canada as early as June. Amada Gahi is live with more on this. Amada, it's surprising news to a lot of shoppers who love that store in downtown Vancouver. Uh, what have you learned about why this is happening? Well, Chris, uh, information given by the company, at least publicly, points to declining sales expectations as the reason behind this news. But retail experts say the decision may have deeper roots within the company. We will hear more about that in a second, but it's safe to say tonight customers of Nordstrom are shocked by what they are hearing. This is a very famous high-end retail brand in the heart of downtown Vancouver with 230,000 square foot in Pacific Centre Mall, and it's now ready to pack up and do so quite quickly. Now, uh, during its fourth quarter earning report today, Nordstrom announced that it will be winding down business in Canada, closing more than a dozen retail and discount stores. CEO Eric Nordstrom saying that despite best efforts, the company does not see a realistic path to profitability for its Canadian business and will close up shop in Canada to simplify its structure, intensify its focus on growth, adding more uh, positions for the company to create greater value for its shareholders. Now, Nordstrom's location in downtown Vancouver was the company's first international flagship location opening up in 2015. At the time, its manager said that the hope would be that this would be the best store, one of the best stores in the world, offering luxury retail experiences. The store, of course, having a coffee shop and a bar inside. The fact the company did not succeed in Canada is leaving Vancouverites disappointed today. And now the question is what happens next with this giant retail space? Well, obviously, this is a shock to everybody. It's not the information that anybody wanted to hear today. And I think businesses will be affected in the interim. However, Vancouver is a strong market, and there's growth in the years ahead. And this is an opportunity for another organization to come in and fill that space. This is not about the Canadian operation being a problem for Nordstrom. This is a, a, really about an activist shareholder in the States uh, threatening the Nordstrom family and control of the business. And uh, Canada, in my mind, is kind of collateral damage. Now, Nordstrom has six retail locations in Canada, seven discount retail locations in Canada, including uh, the Vancouver location behind me and the Nordstrom Rack in Langley. Those stores are all going to be closed by the end of June. And sadly, the company expects 2,500 employees to be let go as well. Got a feel for them. All right, Ahmad Agahi reporting live in downtown Vancouver. Thanks, Ahmad. More fallout today from the decision not to criminally charge the alleged kingpin of a multinational money laundering organization, despite all of the evidence gathered during a major multi-year police investigation. As Sarah McDonald reports, while the decision to not prosecute is being widely criticized, it could lead to better laws. Once again, an exhaustive and extensive years-long investigation into alleged money laundering in this province has come up empty. With a special prosecutor determining there simply is not enough evidence to charge an alleged transnational gangster with cleaning millions of dollars in dirty money through BC casinos and other means. I can understand why the public would be upset. I can fully understand why the police who have done so much work here would be disappointed. But... The fact is, the Crown lays the charges, and they only do it if 
there's a substantial likelihood for conviction. In this case, it's been determined twice now that there was not enough evidence to stick any charges to Paul Jen. First by the BC Prosecution Service and now by that special prosecutor. The decision not to lay charges coming in spite of the fact there is little question that large volumes of cash changed hands through an unregistered money services business in activity deemed highly suspicious. After teams of prosecutors have reviewed that conduct, that there is no criminal charge uh, that they can find, that they can proceed with. Jin has long been on the radar of investigators, injured in a shooting in Richmond in 2020, which left his associate, also suspected of money laundering, dead. In 2021, BC's Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit recommended charges against Jin. A complex, lengthy investigation involving over half a million intercepted telephone calls most of them in Mandarin. Former BC Attorney General Wally Opal says he agrees with the decision to ultimately not lay charges. I don't see any way where there could be a conviction here. Joining a growing chorus of calls for federal legislation to be modernized. So it involved a group of people who were moving money out of China, uh, doing it quite secretively, and because they were doing it under money service business. That's what they had going here. They didn't have a license. Until that is considered illegal in the absence of clear-cut, indisputable evidence of criminal activity, we are only likely to see more of it, unfettered and without consequence. Sarah McDonald, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now with a little bit more on this. Keith, the Premier was asked about the collapse of the case today. Uh, doesn't sound like he's quite willing to give in just yet. No, not just yet, uh, Chris. So you heard in Sarah's story, Wally Opal talk about one of the tests that has to be met for laying a charge is there has to be a substantial likelihood of conviction. The original assessment was, no, there's no substantial likelihood. That was watered down or, or lessened, uh, to, uh, to use another phrase, by uh, David Eby, Attorney General, instructions to the next lawyer to say, look for only a reasonable prospect of conviction, so a lower test. But even that lawyer found it could not be met. And the reason is the federal legislation is worded so weakly, it's hard to make these charges stick in court. Today, David Eby, the Premier, is saying he's going to be lobbying and working with the federal government to make those much-needed changes. Obviously, there's a serious problem uh, with the federal criminal law that allows this conduct to continue in our province. I have communicated that on a number of occasions to the federal government, and to their credit, they have made some changes since we started engaging with them on this. There's obviously more to do, and uh, we are working with uh, directly with the Ministry of Finance federally uh, and as well, reaching out on the public safety side uh, to work with the federal government to make sure that their rules uh, address these kinds of issues. So while that work goes on behind the scenes to change the law, the B.C. government's uh, uh, view here now, the emphasis is going to be going after the proceeds of crime. We saw that with that recent court win against the clubhouses owned by the Hells Angels. So that's going to be the focus of the B.C. government while they work with Ottawa to change the law when it comes to prosecuting money launderers. Slow process either way. Thanks very much, Keith. Right. Well, you've got to live somewhere, but housing stats show there aren't enough options. Troubling numbers about the supply and how it could keep driving prices up in just over a minute. I heard that somebody won the big one, so I thought maybe lightning will strike twice. Millionaire mystery in Saanich. Rumors swirl that a local store just sold a winning $55 million lottery ticket. That's coming up later. And a feast for the senses, the celebration known as Hobie in Vancouver and how you can take part. 
also coming up. But right now, B.C. is quite simply not building enough housing. That's at least according to projections that show the number of housing projects is declining while our population continues to grow. Richard Zussman has more, including those who blame the government for not doing more to spur development. It's a race to build the province falling behind. It's been a total colossal public policy failure. Let's just call it for what it is. Tuesday's budget signaling housing supply has hit a brick wall. Last year, 46,721 new units of housing were built province-wide. The projection now is 39,033 new builds this year and 37,000 37 units in 2024. On affordable homes, 3,900 units built in 2022, with projections of 3,000 units to be built in 2023 and 2024. Builders cannot find enough trades to do the work. Now, it has subsided a little bit with the downturn in the market, but it's still the number one cause of projects not moving faster. And even when workers are in place, the industry has other challenges, including getting permits approved to build. There were a lot of announcements in the budget tied to housing, but there are a lot of details still yet to be answered. Minister Ravi Kalon insists the projections are a lowball, and last year the province actually built 6,000 more units than forecast in the budget. Consistently over the last five years, we have greatly surpassed the projected numbers in the budget, and I suspect that we're going to be doing the same thing again this year. Well, what is the reality? I can tell you what the reality is for British Columbians. We pay the highest housing prices in North America and we pay the highest rents in Canada. The province will be revamping its housing plan and unveiling it later this spring. Expected to be included are rebates for homeowners who want to add a secondary suite to rent out. We're willing to do things like pilot projects uh, around uh, secondary suites to make sure that happens, but also get rid of those regulatory barriers that stop people from opening the rental housing we need. One of those barriers is in some jurisdictions, secondary suites aren't allowed. Removing that is also something the province could announce in the plan. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And coming up, Metro Vancouver's dirty secret. We need some additional capacity that we don't have in-region capacity for. Why this region is wallowing in waste and running out of room for it. Also, the BC business allowed to make cocaine and what they plan to do with it. Next. Metro Vancouver is spending some big bucks to clean up a smelly mess. Our region has never produced more waste than it is right now. So much that we can no longer deal with it on our own. But as Jennifer Palma shows us, there is at least some good news. Garbage, trash, refuse, call it what you will, but it's piling up. In our region, we have capacity for roughly around a million tons of, of waste, and currently requiring disposal is just a little over a million tons of waste. So how do you deal with all of that trash? One of Metro Vancouver's solutions? Send it on a trip. In particular, Cache Creek and across the line to Washington State and Oregon. The organization not wasting time awarding three contracts worth $150 million over five years to Republic Services, Waste Management of Canada and GFL to do the dirty work. Carrying the trash by truck and rail, Republic Services says 62,000 tons will go to Washington that's enough to fill 1,159 double-stacked rail cars. We need some additional capacity 
that we don't have in-region capacity for. While the situation looks dire, strides have been made despite the population in the metro area increasing. In 1994, with a population of 1.7 million, Metro Vancouver generated 2.6 million tons of trash, with 39% being recycled. Fast forward to 2021. The population is up to 2.8 million, generating 3.6 million tons of trash and recycling 65%. Overall, recycling increased by 90,000 tons in 2021. That's the weight of more than 20,000 orcas. One loving owner. Waste reduction campaigns seem to be getting through, but a growing waste problem is fast fashion. Metro Vancouver says people are buying three times more clothes on average than in the 80s, with Metro residents throwing out an average of 17 pounds of clothing per person each year. Don't consume, don't buy things in the first place that you don't need, and if you do have something, try to reuse it. In the end, Metro Vancouver says the best way to keep refuse at bay is that old line, reduce, reuse, recycle. Jennifer Palma, Global News. A business has been temporarily shut down by vandals making a political statement. The Russian and Ukrainian deli has had part of its sign defaced. Someone used blue and yellow paint, the colors of the Ukrainian flag, to cover up the word Russian. The deli's owner didn't respond to Global's request for comment, but a member of the group Kelowna Stands with Ukraine says vandalizing a local business is no way to protest the actions of Russia. It's hard to see that. Uh, I think uh, we should all uh, be on the same page uh, condemning uh, this aggression uh, and uh, it does not have any reason to happen. Kelowna RCMP say at this point the store's owners have not filed a police report. Coming up, a B.C. company producing cocaine legally. The short answer is uh, that I was astonished uh, by this announcement. A new wrinkle in the argument over safe supply. And did this Saanich retailer just sell the golden ticket? Someone on Vancouver Island is $55 million richer. Police are releasing more details about Wednesday's deadly crash on Highway 5 near Clearwater. Three people were killed in the collision. Two others are in hospital in critical condition. Police say just after 11 a.m., a southbound Ford F-150 pickup truck from Alberta crossed the center line, sideswiped another truck, and collided head-on with an SUV. All five victims were in the SUV, and two of the deceased were recent immigrants to Canada. The driver of the truck wasn't seriously hurt and is cooperating with police. Investigators say road conditions were not a factor in the crash. Just one month into B.C.'s experiment into decriminalizing some drugs, one of the province's top law enforcement officers is raising some red flags about the new laws. Vernon RCMP Superintendent Shauna Bear told City Council she has no issue with decriminalization itself, but it has taken away some of the tools police had to go, at, or some of the tools they had, to go after people who sell toxic drugs. She also worries there will be cases where when someone is taken into custody and then released, police will be required to give those toxic drugs back. One of the things I'm concerned about is if we do give someone drugs back and they go and overdose, and if that does happen, someone does pass away after we've done that, we'll be having to notify the IIO, the Internal Investigations Office, um, to investigate the member. The superintendent says she doesn't believe decriminalization itself 
will change the opioid crisis. She says something has to be done about the toxic drug supply, and in her opinion, nothing is being done. A Langley Cannabis Company says it's been given the green light by Health Canada to produce, sell, and distribute cocaine. As Paul Johnson reports, the approval appears to have taken many off guard, including the Premier. In a nondescript-looking industrial park in Langley, you're looking at what's intended to be British Columbia's first legal cocaine lab. In a corporate news release circulated recently, Ad Astra Lab says it's been given approval by Ottawa to make and sell cocaine and that its intention is to support the demand for a safe supply of the drug following B.C.'s recent decriminalization of small amounts of hard drugs. This, I think, is spinning out of control. At the legislature Thursday, B.C. Liberal leader Kevin Falcon seized on the news as an example of why he thinks the NDP is doing decriminalization poorly. The now companies are rushing to get involved in the manufacture of heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. And I just ask the question, what in the hell is going on? We all, uh, we all know someone who has struggled with issues around mental health and addiction. Coincidentally, Premier Eby was making a big announcement in Vancouver about new funding for addiction treatment Thursday. And he appeared to have been blindsided by the news. Are you aware of this project? Uh, it is not part of our provincial plan. If Health Canada did in fact do this, uh, they did it without, not only without engaging with the province, but without notice to us. Uh, so we will get answers for British Columbians about this. We tried to do that as well, reaching out to the Federal Ministry of Health to see if they in fact gave out a cocaine production license in B.C. without looping in the Premier. No one from Ottawa responded in time for this report. We're a Health Canada licensed standard processor nestled in the beautiful Fraser Valley of British Columbia. We also tried to connect with Ad Astra, where a spokesperson said their CEO is not taking questions right now. But their news release says they're currently evaluating how their new cocaine venture fits into their business model. While BC's new hard drug decrim bill allows for users to have a certain amount, selling the drugs is still illegal. So it's unclear how any made-in-B.C. cocaine would reach its users. Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead, a record-setting senior. This is a national record attempt for Charlie. How a powerlifting B.C. grandma puts others her age to shame. Plus, sharing food, stories and cultures. Why everyone is invited to Hobie Yet another big cultural festival is making a comeback after two years of pandemic cancellations. First Nations from across B.C. will be in Vancouver for the Nishka Nation's New Year's celebrations. And you're invited too. Julie Nolan shows us the meaning of Hobie. It's a tradition brought back to life not once but twice in the last 30 years. This delicious Niska soup containing fish will soon be served to 8,000 people. They say when you're eating, you're ingesting the knowledge. So you're, you're ingesting it and it's feeding you. COVID put a pause on the celebration of the new year and the new season of harvest called Hobie. It had been banned through colonialism until coming back in the 1990s. And so after two years following the pandemic, the Niska people were hungry, not just for food, but for a deeper connection. When Hobie happens or any feasting happens, 
it's really important for family to be, be together, come together, um, to share food, share story. <laughs> Niska knowledge keeper Saitak Wai says her ancestors watched the sun, the moon and the stars closely and for this celebration the moon takes center stage. And what it says about the coming season is welcome news. We know that when it's tilted up a bit it's going to capture whatever goes into it. So that means it's going to be abundant. The theme of this weekend's event is restoring our roots. After illness and death hit their communities hard during COVID, the Niska people knew that bringing back culture and tradition had to be a priority. If we're not feasting, then we're not connecting with our matrilineal um, leadership, so our chiefs and our matriarchs. So this is really important. Seven to 10,000 people are expected to be here at the PE Forum through to Saturday, with every culture invited to attend. It's not just the celebration itself, it's, it's creating unity and showing us that we're together as one family. Our doors are open, are wide open to welcome people into our house. With lots of dancing and food, they say it will be healing for everyone who wants to be here. Julie Nolan, Global News. Dancing and eating and gaining knowledge? Sign me up. All right, let's check in with uh, Christy now and a look at weather. We had a little bit of sunshine breakthrough today. Felt nice. Yeah, it sure did. I, at times today, thought... It's like we just jumped straight into spring, but that wasn't totally the case. It was an action-packed day. We had uh, certainly snow on the ground, as you well know, but we had a number of cells roll through. These were intense cells that at times brought snowfall, of course, to Janet Brown's house in the North Surrey area, one pocket that tends to get it. But we had uh, reports of hail and lightning strikes uh, in the uh, Maple Ridge area, Coquitlam area, and there were rainbows. So it really had a little bit of everything today. And we even had some downpours in the Okanagan Valley area. So thank you to everyone who shared photos with us. So what we're dealing with, as you can imagine, is a very unstable air mass. That creates these pockets of precipitation. Now, tomorrow we don't have a risk of thunderstorms, but we'll continue with or flurries. So I thought I would show you this. Yes, we're expecting flurries in the mountains, but even for our region. So this is overnight tonight, tomorrow morning. There's a chance in through the Fraser Valley, certainly along the mountains, but it's mainly in the Fraser Valley that I wanted to point out for tonight for flurries. And then Friday night into Saturday morning, yes, there's a chance we could even see it in a little bit into the Metro Vancouver area. So we're not totally done with winter yet, despite the fact that crocuses are coming out between the, the uh, uh, snow on the ground today. All right, so there's your forecast for your Friday, everyone. Some breaks of blue sky through the Okanagan Valley. Still snowfall for the Columbia and Kootenai region. And for our region, few light showers or flurries, just wet ones across the inland sections of Metro Vancouver. Sorry, Metro Vancouver as well as Vancouver Island. We have the potential of few wet flurries again Friday night into Saturday before it changes over to just showers during the day. And then lots to look forward to. It looks like we've got a bright several days on the way Sunday and into the early parts of next week. Tonight's central windows wind, the weather window coming to you from the confluence area of the Clearwater and North Thompson River where this circular ice area was uh, spotted. So when two rivers come together you can sometimes get that created when there's a difference in temperature in the water as well and it basically continues to sort of turn on itself uh, where the two rivers are coming together. So thanks Kirk for sharing that with us. Chris back what to you. A cool effect. Awesome. Thanks Christy. Well, the B.C. Lottery slogan is Dream to the Max, and many in North Saanich are doing just that after a $55 million Lotto Max ticket was sold there this week. 
The winner hasn't come forward yet, but as Kylie Stanton reports, many in the community outside Victoria are wondering who will claim Vancouver Island's biggest lottery prize ever. Some numbers here. 1, 3, 8, 24, 35, 42, 43. The winning numbers chosen in that exact order. And then obviously the location. By a lucky someone in the Saanich North region. It's a very exciting news for the community in general, so everyone's talking about it. I heard that somebody won the big one. <laughs> So far, no one has come forward to claim the Lotto Max winnings, totaling a whopping $55 million, setting a record for the biggest jackpot awarded on Vancouver Island. This is a life-changing amount of money. Until the prize is claimed, the BC Lottery Corporation does not release the details of where the ticket was sold. But there are only three possibilities. The McTavish Market, the Deep Cove Peninsula Co-op, and the Co-op Gas and Convenience Centre. And with a population of just over 11,000 in the region... It's pretty good odds. And that has many here considering the big question. What would I do with that kind of money? Oof buy a, an island somewhere. Oh, I gave it to my buddy. Maybe buy a new car, got a 20-year-old car. <laughs> Probably help all the rest of the family. It's a lot. <laughs> According to BCLC, the winner has 52 weeks from the date listed on the ticket to claim the prize. And tickets are valid for one year after the draw date. So there's still some time for our winner to come forward. In the meantime, there's no harm in trying to keep the lucky streak alive. Maybe lightning will strike twice. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, certainly nothing to scoff at. Tuesday's $55 million winning draw is not even the biggest ever seen here in B.C. In October of 2021, Burnaby's Christine Lazan cashed in her ticket for $70 million, making it the largest ever lottery prize in B.C. Last August, West Kelowna's Jennifer Cole took home $31 million. And Langley's Friedrich Mayerhofer took months to come forward to claim his $50 million prize in 2015, citing shyness and concern for his family's privacy. Let's hope they all spent it wisely. Uh, okay, Squire's I, here. I, I was going to say, I remember doing a story on what happens if you win the big one. Mm -hmm. And the one tip they gave me, and this is good for everybody, wherever you buy your lottery ticket, always write down on the back of the ticket or somewhere where you bought it. Because if you win the big one, they'll ask you questions. And that's one of the questions they'll ask you. Where did you buy it? That's right. And a lot of people actually buy it on one of these yeah. nowadays. There's an app so. for that now. Anyway, there you go. Yeah, cool. Uh, at least one of the Canucks young stars is glad that the team is not going to a full rebuild. And obviously, we don't want to be here for a rebuild. Yes, as we said, players don't worry about drafts. They want the future to be now. No doubt. So do the fans. Strong genes coming up as well. The BC grandma grinding away at the gym and how it's really paying off. back with sports lots of activity on the twitterverse today in the twitterverse well again accounts. the whole thing about this trade yesterday what was the hurry <laughs> doing the off season it's not like the entire league was trying to get philip heronic anyway <laughs> uh tonight the canucks are home to minnesota thatcher demko i think will be the starting goalie the debate 
in Canucks Nation is still raging about that trade yesterday for Philip Horonic. Uh, was it the right way to go? I think the majority believe it wasn't, but there's no going back now. Uh, now, we don't know yet when he'll be able to debut with the Vancouver Canucks because he, because he has a minor injury at the moment. Rick Tockett believes that when he is healthy, he gives Vancouver a chance to play quicker, moving the puck out of their zone faster and more efficiently. Really excited. You know, he's a top four defenseman, but he's got 38, 40 points. He's got a, a bomb from the, from the point. Um, you know, just a, a piece that we need, a right-hand defenseman that can play in your top four, 22-minute uh, type of guy. He's 25 years old, so it's not like we're getting a 31-year-old or 30s. He's a, he's a 25-year-old, so he's going to be part of this process for the next few years here. So that's the, that's, I think that's the key. Like, he's not yeah. old. <laughs> One of the excuses the Canucks uh, might give you for not doing a full rebuild is what Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes would think about it. Since Connor Bedard being a Canuck requires lottery luck these days, they are the two faces of the franchise, and they would probably rather have management make a trade to improve the club for the now than stockpile draft picks for the future. Because as Quinn Hughes says, they want to start winning as soon as possible. You know, obviously, we don't want to be here for a rebuild and have to wait and do all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that we've been playing better hockey in the last couple games, and our structure's been better, and um, we're missing a couple guys. and. Having Demmer back's huge. I mean, he's, you know, probably the biggest um, part of our team. I mean, when he's making saves like he was against Dallas, if we had him the whole season, who knows? But um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think we're, you know, crazy far out um, of competing and, and doing well. So for them to do that, it's obviously encouraging. Well, that looks weird. Patrick Kane in a Rangers uniform and Jacob Chikrin making his debut with Ottawa as these two do battle at MSG. Was 3-2 Rangers, but good third period for Ottawa. This is Derek Broussard, second of the game. Spinorama, kind of, on Yaroslav Halak, and Ottawa wins it by the score of 5-3. No points for Kane tonight. The Rugby Sevens tournament will start tomorrow at BC Place, tomorrow morning, actually. Canada's women's team will play their first game against Ireland, and so will the men's team. Uh, now, the men are 14th in the overall standings after six Rugby 7 tournaments. They are in a transition phase. Unlike the Canucks, they are rebuilding. And uh, they feel they've been getting better of late, uh, slowly better. Talk a little about kind of uh, building from the back out, right? Defense wins a little more uh, in tournaments like this. So that's been our focus over the last month, I think really looking at a defensive foundation. Things did look like it was starting to come together. You know, games were a lot more closer. We got, some, we got a couple of big wins against some strong teams against Uruguay and Kenya. Had a close loss against Spain, unfortunately. But um, really looking forward to bring that A game into the weekend. Now, there's not going to be an Audlin Brown tennis tournament this year at Hollyburn in West Vancouver. That's because Hollyburn is undergoing a lot of renovations. So Audlin Brown will have to find a temporary home for next year's tournament because the Renaults are going to take two years. So if they do next year's tournament, it would likely be at the Burnaby Lake Complex. I think that the goal was to always have a tournament uh, after two because of the pandemic um, and coming not coming back in 2023 is a disappointment for sure for everyone but I think that it's a matter of doing it right and I think that's the goal for 2024. I mean it's something that was out of the tournament's control in this regard we knew that renovations were coming but we didn't necessarily know that it would impact the tournament as much as it does um, and so they will hold our spot but they won't hold it indefinitely.
So they want to get a tournament into the week of August that our tournament would be. But as of right now, they're willing to hold it for us. Girls 4A, Riverside of Port Coquitlam against Kelowna. This is quarterfinal action and Kelowna's man Shalal with the steal and the score. Kelowna trailed by one after three quarters, but Avery Sussex, great feed here to Natalie Curley. Yeah, Riverside wins it, so they advance to the semifinals. There it is, right there. So, Okanagan Mission and my old school, Burnaby Central, playing right now, close game in the fourth. Later on, Claremont, Walnut Grove, Siaquam, and Yale will play in the other quarterfinal games. Out at the Langley Event Center. Nice, lots of basketball talent yep. in this province for sure. All right, we have a little heavy lifting to do still, including a grandma who keeps going for the gold. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up tonight on News at 11. Jordan. Chris Langley, RCMP, are investigating an ugly on-ice dust-up during an adult hockey game Tuesday night. This video is a key piece of evidence for police. It appears to show a player getting physical with a referee. The ref falls to the ice. Fortunately, we're told he did not get hurt. But both police and the arena where this happened say they are taking the incident seriously. At 11, we'll tell you what could happen to the player involved. Plus, City Hall's reaction to the Nordstrom departure and what it means for the ambitious plan to revitalize Granville Street. Chris? All right. Thanks very much, Jordan. So a Langley senior citizen got into weight training with only the goal of beating osteoporosis. But she has just smashed three records for her age category at the Canadian Powerlifting Championships. Jay Durant shows us more in This Is BC. This is a national record attempt for Charlene. Three Canadian titles wasn't part of the original plan for Charlene Brunges. She just wanted to get healthy after her doctor told her she would likely develop osteoporosis. When you hear about older people that have fallen and they break a hip, that's generally from bone loss and osteoporosis. So I really didn't want that to be me. So she took up strength training to improve her condition and found that she could lift a lot of weight. The gym owner at the time said, I can't teach you enough. He says, you are a power lifter. He says, I think you do really well at it and you need to get a power lifting coach. Well, this was Nationals too, and I should have some from Regionals somewhere. There's been some impressive results over her five years of competition. It's not bad for an old lady. <laughs> At almost 70, Charlene is ranked number one in the country in her class. I'm kind of like the Mighty Mouse. You know, I'm kind of small, so I kind of got a nickname, Mighty Mouse. She's also a Canadian dragon boat champ, once accidentally earning another nickname. Dragon Slayer, because I crashed a dragon boat and tore the head off the dragon boat. <laughs> if I pull something for this, my coach will kill me. Brunges just set Canadian records in the squat, deadlift, and overall total. The announcer was high-fiving me and holding my arms up and calling me national champion. This is the money shot. Earning a trip to the World Championships next fall in Mongolia, where she hopes she can add some more plates to improve on her personal best. I'm definitely planning on it. I have some goals. I want to do a 300-pound deadlift. I think it'll come. And that's a wrap. Jay Durant, Global News. 300-pound deadlift.
Go for it. Well done. All right, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And thank you for all of the suggestions that flow in. He's got some great <laughs> stories always lined up. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about weather before we go to, uh, before we go, I was going to say to the weekend, but it's my weekend because it's rugby. <laughs> but let's talk Rub about it Friday. In. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah, so we all have one more day, everyone. So tonight we do have a slight chance of a few wet flurries up through the Fraser Valley, maybe higher elevations, but we're not expecting accumulations. Spotty conditions tomorrow, so don't leave home without your rain jacket. You'll see some breaks, though, and enjoy the warmer, milder conditions as we head into the weekend. But, uh, yeah, we're not totally done with the flakes falling from the sky, but don't worry, you don't have to shovel. It doesn't look like that. Sounds good. All right, thanks very much. Have a great night, everybody.